Well, Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. My name's Eric. I am one of the pastors here. And if you have been with us over the last couple of years, this might sound like a little bit of a refrain. Um, I, I, I really love the study of habits. And um, as a result, I'm going to start our sermon in this complete and utter uh, sort of sidebar to talk just a little bit about resolutions. Here's what I think I've learned about Boulderites in my seven plus years here. Boulderites say they do not make resolutions. National studies show that about 40% of Americans, about 40% of Americans make resolutions. And surely, Boulder, aren't we a little above average? So probably that means either you or the person next to you have made some sort of resolution. Now I get it. We don't really talk about it. We don't admit it. In part because studies also show about 80% of us fail by about the middle of February. And isn't it true, Boulderites? We don't like to fail. But I think probably a lot of us do take this moment to take some sort of new stock on what we hope the next year will hold for us. It might be secret. It might be small. It might be the kind of thing we don't want to share out loud. I know some of us, for as long as I've known uh, Jane Filkin, she's chosen sort of a theme word for the year. And I know many of you have also started to just inquire of the Lord. If I was going to have a theme word for the year to sort of keep me progressing in the way you want, what would that word be? Some seek to start a new habit. I love habits. I um, have some habits I'm hoping to start in 2020. And I, like I said, I, I want us to encourage us to actually do this. I want to actually encourage this notion that we might seek some sort of growth and transformation And I was so gratified earlier this week doing some thinking and reading to stumble upon this passage from 2 Thessalonians. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So as it turns out, Scripture doesn't require resolutions, but it does make room for them. It does make room for us to say, actually, you know what, I know that to to follow the Lord— To be and have a life in Jesus will will mean transformation. And transformation does not happen by accident. It doesn't happen in sort of by willy-nilly, but with intention and wisdom and focus. Paul says, I'm going to pray that actually God fulfills every resolve for good that you have. Paul assumes, in writing to the Thessalonians, 
they've set some resolutions. And I want to encourage you to set a resolution. Seek transformation that comes in knowing and following the Lord. I'm not going to require it. First of all, I can't. And second of all, the Scriptures don't. But what if you took a survey of your life and all the various things that are true of, of you and who you're in relationship with and what you do and what you're about, and what if you took stock of all that and said, you know, actually, I, there is something that I can resolve for good, that God would show up and sort of, you know, sort of ooze out of my life in some beautiful way for the people who are around me. So that way the, the Lord is glorified both in me and through me for others. Can I ask you to do that? Now I want to share one resolution for you that I've, I've kind of been working on actually since the beginning of Advent. I've been seeking really hard to make it a habit and a practice, a joy and an honor and a duty that I would pray for the people of this church. And you might think, well, is not your job? <laughs> yeah, it is. And I've been good and not good at it. Probably like every job you've had, there are things that are on the job description that you're really good at. And things that somehow kind of just are there. But I'm going to give you my email address right now. And it really would be my honor and delight and my pastoral duty to pray for you. So I, look, would you share your resolution with me? It's not going to go public. I'm not going to list them up anywhere. I'm not um, going to share them. I'm not going to be keeping tabs. It's just between you and the Lord and your pastor. Let me pray for you. As Paul said, he's praising that the praying that the Lord would fulfill every resolve for good that you have. So there it is. If you don't already have it, write it down. It's part of my resolution to be praying for your resolutions that we would transform together. So let's do it. Now, to the sermon. Let's pray, shall we? And I have a couple things I want to share from you from the Gospel of Mark today. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for gathering us all together in this place. And we pray for those who are still out on travels or recovering from illness or just really enjoying these last couple days before the school year kicks off into its second semester. We pray, Lord, that you would be glorified and honored and that we would, be, we would be edified by this time of praising and praying and singing and now as we come to this moment to hear from your word. Lord, sometimes we take off the worshiper hat and we put on the learner hat as we come to your sermon. Lord, what if we just kept them both on? What if we worshiped you because of the beauty of your word and we learn from you because of the clarity of your word. Would you make that true in us today, we pray. 
May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be truly pleasing and acceptable in your sight. You are our Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Okay, so let me just talk a little bit about what this sermon series is about. It's just simply called, But First. And you can see there's a whole bunch of stuff up there that um, is stuff I've wanted to do in the past or currently or I've heard from others or read about. There's just this list of all of uh, this stuff. And we've wanted to say, hey, it's good to be resolved for good, but, but first. So you may or, or may not know it, but 2020 is going to be a really, really big year for us. 2020 is going to be a really big year for this church. As you heard Joe say in the announcements on, on February 2nd, we're, we're coming together and we're going, to, we're going to share some things that our elders and our staff have been working on for the last couple of years. We are resolved to do some big things. We've been building towards this vision over the last couple of years and now it's time to share it. So on February 2nd, we're just going to share it we've, and then we're moving towards it. It's going to we have plans to really transform our building. Not f- only for our sake, but for the sake of the people who don't yet know the Lord. We have plans to grow and understand the way that we live Christ together. We have, we have plans for us to do everything we can to take away every hindrance that's possible for people to know Jesus. And part of that will mean a name change for us. We're going to seek to raise some money together in a capital campaign to help make these things possible. Why? To extend the news of God's grace for all people and for our community. And the plans are not modest. I'm excited to share them. Then, after Easter... I'll be sent out by you on sabbatical. Thank you. I am resolved to grow during that time of rest. I have some things I do that will uh, bring back a, a transformed, renewed, grown pastor. And these things are, are all good. What we're hoping to share with you in February is really good. What you hope happens in me while you send me on sabbaticals is really, really good. But I want to be really clear with you. It's possible for us to do those things successfully and still fail. It will be possible for us to to raise the money that we need to raise for this vision and and for this facility and, and actually fail in our call to proclaim Christ. It would be possible for me to go out on this sabbatical and have this incredible set of experiences and still fail in the call to transform and deeply rest in the way that you intend. So as we're just on the cusp of all these things, just before we sort of step off into these things that are going to come for the rest of 2020, we want to say this. These are good things. The things that we're resolved to do are good things. But first, Jesus. 
let's make sure that we're really clear that all the things that we're talking about, all the things that we have in store for one another in 2020 are, are really not about anything else other than living clearly the call of Jesus Christ. Do these good things. Build your life. Grow. Transform. But make sure you're resolved for good in the name of Jesus. Take Him on. Live the life of Christ. Learn from Him. Let Him be your Savior, friend, Messiah, Master. Not of everything else, it's going to happen. First, Jesus. So we just decided, well, let's, let's talk about Jesus just from the first chapter of Mark and a little bit of chapter 2. So last week we started, Jane preached through uh, these first two verses, verses 14 and 15 of Mark chapter 1, where Jesus' public ministry begins. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus announces that in light of everything else that we might think is true of the world, that, that God's kingdom is, is nearer than we think and calls for a response from us, that we would repent, we would rethink, we would turn our lives and believe the, the goodness of Jesus' plan for us, that we would trust in it. So last week was titled simply, if you have your NIV open, you'd see that the little section is Jesus announces the coming kingdom. This week, Jesus calls his first disciples. So let's read the text, shall we? This is uh, Mark chapter 1, starting at verse uh, 16. If you have a Bible with you, or if you want to grab that one in front of you, I just think it's good when we get to be like multi-sensory, okay? So go ahead and open it. I'll give you half a second, and I'll um, parch my throat. Or deparch my throat. All right, here we go. Mark chapter 1. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee... He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Friends, this story is uh, an echo of a story that gets repeated over and over and over in the scriptures and over and over and over in, in human life, including my own. And it actually starts with the, the oldest story we have of human origins. We, the oldest stories we have of, of why humans were created and what their life was supposed to be about. And that's a, that's a narrative in the opening chapters of Genesis and Adam and Eve. They've been made for goodness and for relationship. But in relative short order, they leave the way of God for what they think of as an attractive alternative. And that story and its disobedience has now deeply impacted us all and all of humanity. 
Then a little later in the scriptures, uh, King David is a, plucked out of obscurity. He's the youngest of seven brothers. There's six others that are like strong and huge and massive. And God calls David out because he's got a heart after God that he would be the next king. But not too much further into the story, just a couple pages later, David commits murder to hide his adultery. And then his son, Solomon, who's considered the, the wisest of all men, he's asked for wisdom and God gives him wisdom. He has all of this knowledge. Huge chunks of our wisdom literature come from Solomon. But did you know that later on in his life he had hundreds of wives, hundreds of concubines, and he allowed idolatry, the, the worshiping of false gods, to sort of run pervasively through the lands. starts to follow another story. In the New Testament, Zacchaeus has made millions upon millions of dollars by overcharging people in their taxes. Pilate has pursued a life of power and of duty and doesn't know what to do with Jesus when the Messiah confronts him face to face. The rich young ruler is called to follow Jesus and he just can't get himself to do it. Saul is so deeply entrenched in his religion, he can't see another way of life. See, here's this story. We all follow something. Every single one of us, we, we design our life around some sort of a thing. Can, can you see it about yourself? Just think backwards over the last, I don't know, whatever you got. 20 years, 70 years, whatever it is. What's been the central thing around which you've organized your life? We all follow something. Two Christmases ago, my brother, who knows that I love literature, gave me this book for Christmas, Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. It is a beautiful and an extraordinary difficult novel. Is there anyone here who's braved the depths of its pages? A couple of you? Okay. So, um, trying to understand a little bit more ab about um, David Foster Wallace, who, um, whose life ended too early, uh, I found this quote. Here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. Every single one of us is a worshiper. Every single one of us has designed, the quote goes on, he starts to identify some of the, the obvious things. Our own physical health, 
our financial welfare, the experiences that we seek to acquire as we work our way through adult life. And you know what he says? They all end up as horrible tyrants that you don't get to keep with you when you die. So here's the thing. This text shows us, if we think a little more deeply around what Jesus is, is really saying, we all follow something. We all follow something. The question is, is it the right thing? Is it the right thing? The way you spend your time and invest your efforts, spend your money, is it the right thing? Jesus comes up to these men in these boats as he also comes up to us. And these men are really respectable men. Sometimes we've told ourselves a story that, that Jesus has, um, has called men who are the poor and the destitute and the uneducated. But really these men are quite respectable. They're not, they're not wealthy, but they're well off. The, the fish business was one of the few businesses that actually was global. Fish from the Sea of Galilee um, found their way to Egypt and to Rome. Probably these men spoke, some of them at least spoke Greek, which was sort of the language of trade and international um, sort of discussion of the day. They had employees. They had houses. They had a way of life. In a certain way, they're like many of us. They've built a life, and it's a good one. And Jesus comes along, and he sees all of that goodness. But he also sees the inadequacy of it. Jesus sees that there is this common grace that we all get to share, whether we know God or not. That in his great love for all of humanity, even those who do not know God, who have not given themselves to God, they, they, still, they still get work. They still get to have relationships. They still get to seek to be um, invested in the things that God has given you means to care about. But what he also sees is, is an off-kilter orientation. What he sees is, is gosh, that is so good and not quite true north. And friends, this is a story that gets played out over and over and over again in human history. This is a story that gets played out over and over and over again by the people in this room. Our life is good. My life is good. Just all right. going to end nowhere. So what Jesus is saying in a certain way is, I, I see your life, and I, I see that you have built it and constructed around something that's actually small. It's smaller than what I have in store for you. You have built a life and a time and investment in something that's going to consume you, but offer no payment in return. 
There is no hope at the end of it. We all follow something. So what you're following worth it? And then Jesus walks by. And God could have made this assessment from really far off. God could have stood way far off and waved his cosmic finger and waited for us to get it figured out. You learn how to do this, and then we'll talk. You learn how to live a godly life, and then, then we'll be together. But that's not the character of God. That's not what we see here. That's not what we've been even saying throughout the Advent and Christmas season. See, this is the good news. Even in the midst of our confusion, God comes in the flesh. Even in the middle of our giving away our lives to things that have no eternal value, God comes in the flesh and He says, come, follow me. That's all He says. Come, follow me. And when he does that, friends, he invites us into an apprenticeship forever. That's what he's doing. See, the men, they, like us, these men had a lot of reasons to not follow Jesus. They had um, business pressures. They had bills to pay. They had payroll to meet. They had people to support. They had generational pressures. Most of them had been like in the family business for the, this the third or fourth or fifth or twelfth generation of people who fished. They had family pressures. You, you want to do what? With who? Without me? They even had religious pressures. And in the middle of all that, Jesus says, I see all those things. Jesus says, actually, through his word, I see you. I see you. And through the pages of Scripture, Jesus says, come, follow me. Learn from me. Make me your way. Become a student and I'll be the rabbi. Follow me, he says. Apprenticeships are really relational. And you sort of watch and you learn and you discuss and you imitate. Then you, you, they give you a chance and you fail. And then they give you another chance and you fail even worse. But they keep on teaching you and instructing you the way of that trade. And Jesus is saying, follow me and let me show you the way of eternal life. We've had a little home project over the last uh, couple of days. And one of them has been to uh, uh, change out a power outlet. That pastors and electricity don't always go very well together. And I thought I'd gotten the right box, and I hadn't. So my first time, I, 
And my son was right there to watch me do this. Then I kind of got the right breaker off and pulled the wires out and showed him where the new wires go and how to tighten them in and how to put them in there. I was like, Reese, you're going to do the next one. He's like, no, I'm not. (laughs) Yes, you are. And I'll watch you. And that simple, small, little sort of understanding of what I did with my 14-year-old son is exactly what Jesus wants to do with you in much larger areas of your life. He wants you to watch and observe him, to walk with him, to recognize that there actually is a way that you are always, every day, building and constructing your life. And the best way to do that is with Jesus as your master, where you get to apprentice under him, the one who's made it all and spoken it into existence, existence and died for you. Now the thing is, it's the most sort of astonishing part of this story, I think, is this. These men are doing their work. They're doing their stuff. They're in the middle of whatever else that they're doing, whatever else life has called them to do. Jesus calls, and do you know what they do? They get up and they go. What? The Gospel of Mark has this really interesting, never-ending habit of sort of asking a question behind what's actually on the page. And the question is always, can you see yourself in this story? Can you see yourself as a fisherman who's busy about doing your work, and it's good work? Can you see yourself, Jesus, walking by and seeing that actually your life is off kilter? It's oriented toward nowhere. Jesus comes by and he says, you, come follow me. And can you see what you do next? What do you do? Your whole life is already laid bare before God. And you know what he says? Come follow me. You don't have to get your belief in order before you follow. You don't have to get like check all the boxes off. You don't have to have your your life and your addictions and your sexualities and your budget and your all whatever the addictions are. You don't have to get those straightened out before you come. That's the apprenticeship part. Just come. What do you do? Let's pray. Lord, I pray for the men and the women and the children and the teenagers in this room. And I hold them up to you. I pray, Lord, that as a gift from your spirit that you would speak to them directly about their life and their dreams and their work. God, whisper us, whisper to us in this quiet.
Now, Lord, help us to hear the gentle voice that says, Come, follow me. Lord, in this upcoming year, would you, would you make our following of you first? Would you make it our first, second, and third priorities? Would you ready us to follow you, to be an apprentice to you, to imitate you, to be corrected by you, to walk with you? Lord, as we said at the beginning of the service, it is always right to praise you. Thank you that you've come. Thank you that you've called us. We, pray that you get, we praise you that you've given us new life. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.